God, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Again, one of the ancient creeds said he's the Lord and the giver of life. And we believe the Lord and the giver of life is here in this moment. And for those of us who have opened ourselves to Jesus, he is here inside of us. So I pray that you'd help us understand and see uh, things you have said to us, things you want to show us so we can be the kind of people uh, that truly are, like you say, full of the life and power that come from God. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So I think I told you uh, what I've been doing the last few weeks and I'm going to do for a while. is I'm going to see what God wants me to speak on every week. I don't, I don't wait till Sunday morning. I usually do it during the week. Because usually in the past I have like a series. So I'll just give you a little heads up on this one. is because uh, Kathy's mother died Wednesday morning. Um, she was there. She was actually the first one. That was, and, and I drove there. Uh, she was 94. Uh, she had a great life. So, and I was driving there because I knew it was imminent when I found out it was imminent. And this thought came to my mind. Where's the next slide there? Death is a funny thing. And I just thought, because I, I was, and I, I, this is not just going to be me recounting the whole of her siblings. She's one of five. She's the baby. And she probably bears all those personality traits too. But anyway, they were in the hospital with her mom, always already in hospice. And Kathy called and put her, I just said, I'm going to set my phone down. I hooked my phone up to the speaker in the car for four hours. I just listened to the hospital room. And it was one of the most peaceful drives of my life. It was, it was amazing. And I thought, that's a, death is a funny thing. And let me just read what I wrote the next day. Because this, this, this is not a funeral message, but most of us don't hear things like this unless we're at a funeral. We don't hear. This is what I wrote. I sat down the next morning. I, I like to think this way. And then we're going to look at some passages. I wrote, death is a funny thing. Not funny in the sense that it causes laughter or some form of humor. Rather funny in the sense that it's strangely difficult to explain or understand. As in, I had a funny feeling that you might show up. Of course, scientifically, death is when someone's heart stops beating. The story of their human life is over. The final scene is written. The obituary is published. But that's the effect that death has on the one who has died. But I'm saying I think death is a funny thing with regard to the effect it has on those of us who remain. Those of us who knew the person who died, we know their story, we love them, and now they're gone. Death has a way of making time slow down or even stand still. Why sitting in the hospital, because I had a chance to get there in time, I was sitting in the hospital. Why sitting in the hospital where my mother-in-law was quickly fading, the clock seemed to move slowly. But of course it wasn't. It's just that all the things that fill our ordinary 24-hour days seemed to fade in both significance and urgency. Our current jobs didn't matter. Taking care of business just didn't matter. Results of major sporting events didn't matter. National politics, thankfully, didn't matter. Really didn't care who's ahead in the primaries. Even eating food mattered only enough to give us energy to keep vigil. The quality of the food really didn't matter much. The concept of hurry seems non-existent at moments like these. So here we sit in mourning. And then I write this uh, from, this is from Ecclesiastes. I put this on the screen. I think it's the next slide. Better to go to a house of mourning. I'm not going to read the whole sermon. Don't worry about it. Better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, writes the author of the ancient book of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom writings from the Jewish tradition and part of our Old Testament. So is this writer crazy? Here's the larger context of the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes. It starts with this, and this will, this will just stay on the screen. 
It's better to go to the ho- a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay at heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. That was scripture, now I'm saying my thoughts. Better to go to a death vigil or a funeral than to go to a party or an NFL game? Better to feel sad than to laugh while watching a sitcom? Is the best place to find wisdom truly at a place where death is just visited? I said, then I said, now those are funny things to say. Unless it's all true. All right? Better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. So better to be at a funeral or a place where there's sad than to a house. And like I said, the, the writer writes, sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. So it's one of those things that it's like either he's crazy, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who most of us, most people think was Solomon, but either he's crazy or he's on to something. I don't think he was depressed when he wrote it. And I'm not saying we need to go find every funeral home we can to go sit in things, but there's something about uh, sadness especially for those of us who have the spirit of Jesus in us, that is actually healing. So better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. And I, I, um, I can still, uh, I still remember, I mean, with, with my wife's family, they had a private funeral just a few days ago. It was just family, 10 people. Um, but they're having a more public one in a month or so. But I remember my dad, my dad died 40 years ago. I remember that funeral. And I, and I remember them all because there was something um, healing about those moments. I remember doing the funeral. Some of you may have been there. I don't know. There's a six-year-old girl that died in her sleep, the Geezer family. Um, and I did the funeral here in Bloomington. And you might say, well, that's kind of a sick thing to say. It's good to be at that funeral. It was, there, was a be- there was a beautiful time there. I, I've been in a funeral of a night. I did a funeral of a 19-year-old teenager who died in an ATV accident without a helmet on but it was better to be there than to be somewhere else you know so it's just like it's one of those things it's like hey the gospel doesn't always make sense and this is one of those things where it's like like, what is it about sadness and grief and what what do we do with that because we want to just kind of run past sadness and get on with life and we often ask people who had a loved one died we may not ask them, but we're thinking to themselves, have they moved on yet? As if moving on is the goal, when maybe grieving well should be the goal. So now let me switch to another passage of Scripture. This is Luke chapter 24. So I just put on the screen the what things, yeah. So this is the, this is the day after, or maybe the next day. I can't remember. It was right after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And uh, the disciples haven't seen him yet. And so two disciples are walking on a road to Emmaus. We know one of their names was Cleopas. They weren't weren't one of the 12, but Cleopas and another one, they were walking along the road. And the scripture tells us in Luke 24, they um, they were discussing what had just happened. They'd seen Jesus die. And Jesus, and for whatever reason, scripture tells us they were kept from... So we don't know what that meant, but they didn't know it was him. And Jesus 
kind of walks along behind them, and then he hears them talking, and, and then he says, what were you discussing so intently as you walk along? And then it says, Cleopas, and this is actually what Scripture says, they stop short with sadness written all across their face. So they're walking, and Jesus, or this person they don't know is Jesus, says, what are you guys talking about? And they, they stop, and they're like, and they actually say, are you the only one who doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? But they stop short with sadness written on their faces. And they're telling Jesus, you can almost see the irony of this, are you the only one that doesn't know what happened? And what does Jesus say? What things? What things happened? And they tell him about Jesus, and he was the one we thought was going to be the rescuer of Israel. And, he, and then as they're walking along, it says, this is another, and I'm going to go back to this part of this. It says that they were getting ready to go overnight somewhere, and Jesus, it actually says this, Jesus acted as if he was going to go on further. And they finally said, well, you stay with us. And then he actually breaks bread with them, and they realize it's Jesus. But I'm going to go back to the point where he, they say, when they're sad, and Jesus says, what were you talking about? And they're like, what do you mean? You haven't heard all these things? And he's like, what things? Go stop right there for a second. Why didn't, if I would rewrite the gospel, this is what I wish Jesus would have done, even though I'm glad he didn't, all right? He could have just, when they said all these things about their sadness, he could have just been like, ta-da, it's me. Don't be sad anymore. I mean, why didn't he? He was resurrected. He was going to show them all later, but instead of stopping their sadness, he listened to their sadness. And he could have stopped it. I mean, he could have had music playing in the background, but it's me. I call it a ta-da moment. Ta-da! Why didn't he do that? I mean, why did... tells me that Jesus isn't... His objective is not eliminating or stopping our sadness. Maybe his, his objective is... How do we do sadness really well? Because he listens to them. He just talks. They just talk and he listens to them. He didn't stop their sadness. I'm not saying God wants us to be sad all the time, but his objective is not to eliminate sadness from our life in this life. Yes, we know in the next life there's no more sadness, Revelation 21. But in this life, there's a story, some of you may know this, in the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the books that C.S. Lewis wrote, he's a British uh, author, wrote a lot of children's books in the middle of the last century. But he wrote the one book called The Horse and His Boy. And Shasta is this little boy... Um, who had just everything's going wrong in his life. He doesn't know his parents. He was raised by a strict adoptive fisherman. You know, he's had this lion chasing him everywhere, and he's just, he's got everything's going wrong. And he, and he says, and he, then, then this lion meets him, and he's scared to death, like, I don't know. What, and he, he doesn't know what to do, and then he just says, I am the most unlucky person in the whole world. And then the lion, who's a Jesus figure, says to Shasta, tell me your sorrows. I'm pretty sure C.S. Lewis mirrored that after this Emmaus Road passage. Tell me your sorrows. Tell me your sadness. I think Jesus says that to us often when we're in our sadness. Tell me your sadness. He's not saying, let me stop it. I'm going to fix it. Tell me your sadness. And then... 
Shasta goes on to explain all the things that had happened and all these lions that were done. And then Jesus says, well, I was the lion, which is not Jesus. Aslan said that. But what he's really saying is, I've been with you all along. In the midst of your sadness, in the midst of all that's going on in your grief, I've been with you all along. So Jesus never promises to end our sadness. And you and I might think, and I think this will, why not? I mean, does he want us to be sad? So I want you to think for a second about this one thing. We were not created to be sad. Grief was not something God created Adam and Eve to experience. It was only after their sin and their running away from God that grief became a human emotion. So if grief isn't something we were created to experience, perhaps grieving well is part of our redemption and healing back to Jesus. Again, we don't want to run away from it. And I'm not saying you need to embrace it and love it either. But if grief, if we weren't meant to grieve, and I had somebody told me this years ago. It was a, uh, just a wise Christian man that I knew. He said, grief is the emotion that heals most of our pain. So his point was, if you, we've had loss in our life, whether it's loss of life or loss of a job, loss of anything, loss of a dream, grieving that loss is a very redemptive healing thing if you're doing that grieving in your conversation with Jesus. So how do we, you know, grieving is really, is really a good, if of all people, Christians should be the ones who grieve the best. And that is a weird statement, but I think you know what I mean. So I'm going to jump to 1 Thessalonians 4. And the next one. So the Thessalonians, like, like people today, are wondering, wondering what, what about death and what happens after death and who goes where, when, and what's it like, bodies, who, spirits, whatever. And Paul writes this, you will not grieve like people who have no hope. There's this, this grieving becomes a whole different thing. And I'll just finish the passage. Since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So we don't grieve like people who have no hope. But we grieve. I mean, I'm not opposed to the phrase celebration of life instead of funeral. That's becoming a thing. I am opposed to that phrase if it's a celebration of life while trying to deny the reality of death. Right? Because that's what tends to happen. I'm not, not always. I'm just... I, I, I was telling my, one of my sisters-in-law this week, I said, I don't mind if we call the service a celebration of life as long as we're thinking it's a celebration of the life of Jesus inside Janus Mosteller. But I said too many times, like, I, there was a, and I, I know it was probably really hard and sad, but there was a sorority girl a number of years ago that was murdered or killed or something. I can't remember what happened. I think she overdosed, maybe. I can't remember what it was. 
But the sorority, instead of having a funeral, had a dance party in her honor. And I thought, okay, I, I get that the, nobody wants to feel sad, but it seemed to be the avoidance of sadness. I don't want to feel sad. We're going to go straight to good feelings. And grieving seemed to be a step they skipped. Because they, then they actually, I read this in the paper, she wouldn't want us to be sad. You know, so we skip grieving. I went to a funeral once, and again, I'm sure it was, I, it was a friend of one of my sons in high school, and his dad died, and I knew the dad barely, but I wanted to go to the funeral home for the visitation. And grief is hard, but I walked into the funeral home, and it was almost like a party was happening. It was just, it was almost weird. And I even said to the young man whose dad died, hey, I'm sorry about your dad. Yeah, it's no big deal. That's what he said. I'm just like, this is, because there's a, there's a denial of the finality of death sometimes in our culture. So I, I'm not saying we, I don't say we fixate on death, but we acknowledge death and we grieve like those who have hope. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. And but grieving is really, doing sadness is a really good thing. I mean, Jesus let these guys be sad on the road to Emmaus. He's like, come on, Jesus, you could stop, you could stop their sadness in a heartbeat. And then you know the story of uh, when Lazarus died. They told Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick, he might die. This is in John chapter, I can't remember what, chapter 11, I think. But Jesus waits like a day or two. He waits. Come on. He waits. And then he gets there. Lazarus has already died. And one of his sisters, Mary or Martha, I can't remember once, says, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Again, why did he wait? Why didn't he tell Cleopas, I'm, this is me, I'm the Messiah. Why didn't he go straight to Lazarus' house and keep him from dying? Yes, he rose from the dead, but yet they had to go through all this sadness. But somehow... It was wise and good for him and for them that Lazarus died. And they had to go through some kind of grieving. So it's like, that's the funny thing. Unless you have the spirit of Jesus. Because then it becomes something different. Kathy said this. um, I'll leave that up there for now. And uh, She's not here. She's just vegetating at home this morning, understandably. But she wrote this to our kids in a text this week, and she said, these have been the hardest two days of my life, but they've been the best two days of my life. And, and I told Kathy, I said, that's, I, I almost, I said, that's profound. She said, I'm not trying to be profound. I really feel that. Now, granted, it's the death of a 94-year-old woman who lived a great life as a follower of Jesus and had five wonderful children and one wonderful son-in-law, by the way, but <laughs> other sons-in-law, you know. She said, I just, I just feel a sense of really, these have been great days. They've been horrible days, hard days. She was there when her mom died in the hospital at 5.15 in the morning. So now, granted, you might say, and I thought, okay, the parents, Jim and Juliana, the parents of the six-year-old girl who died in her sleep, they probably wouldn't have said that about the, the funeral in those days. But I remember talking to them. They stayed in our house a couple nights before the funeral was over at Emmanuel Baptist Church. 
there was a sense of contentment and deep hope in them that defied reality of what just happened. So, so I'm saying that there can be sadness and kind of this hopeful joy that doesn't feel like, woo, joy, but there's something there that seasons the sadness with hope, real hope, that this is not all there is to life. Because this is all, I mean, Paul even says to the Corinthians, if, if Christ wasn't raised and the dead aren't raised and the dead, then we should be pitied among all people. We're the most idiotic people in the world if, we're, if we believe about this thing about resurrection. And if it's not true, then we're the big idiots. I mean, I'm paraphrasing Paul, but that's kind of what he was saying. If it's not true, we're idiots. If it is true, something's different, not just about death, but how we live life. So in the, I'll go back to the John passage when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before he did it. And Mary said, uh, or Martha, I always forget which one of the sisters, said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Kind of, if you would have been here, we would have been, we'd have avoided all this stuff, this sad stuff. And this is what he says. Go to the next slide. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. He reponds there. He said, I'm the resurrection of the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And then he says to Mary, do you believe this? Her brother's dead, but she says, yes, I do believe this. But Jesus, the resurrection changes everything when it comes to how we think about sadness and death. It doesn't take the sadness away. It doesn't take the pain of death away. But Paul says it takes the sting of death away. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? So then, then I'm thinking, okay, that, then we, how, how do we step back? How do we live life now in the reality of imminent death? And if there's another world where there's hope because of what Jesus does for us, it changes, it changes even how we look at how we live today. How do we live tomorrow? How do we deal with grief and sadness? How do we help other people heal from grief and sadness? But grief and sadness is an incredibly healing thing if you do it in your conversation with Jesus. It's a destructive, despairing thing if you have to deal with it on your own. And if you just think, I mean, one of an of, uh, extended family of Kathy who's not a follower of Jesus wrote in a text, this is just all part of the beautiful circle of life. And I just thought, that is so unsatisfying. We live, we die, we, we, memories live on, and our bodies rot in the grave. I, it was just kind of like, I'm sure he had good ideas, but it was just kind of fluff. But if we believe there's resurrection, if there's a life beyond this life, I don't mean just life beyond this life then, but even life beyond this life now, there's a whole other world and a whole other reality. And if the resurrection of Jesus really happened, then something's really different about how we live our life now. So um, we're going to, I guess my challenge is just grieve well. Grieve well and tell Jesus your sadness. He's never, and I, tell Jesus your sadness. He doesn't. He doesn't say, well, get over it. You need to move on. All things work together for good. Those are all 
nice things to say. But Jesus never tries to hurry us through our sadness. Move on, get over it. Um, all things work together. He's in a better place. And please, please, please know the scripture doesn't say we all become angels. We become, we, we, we all have new bodies. But there's no, Jesus doesn't shame you for your grief. But he also doesn't short circuit it because the fullness of your grief and sadness about whatever loss in your life. It could be a death, it could be loss of a dream, could be loss of a hope, could be loss of a job, loss of something. Any loss you have, if we don't grieve it well, we are not allowing the spirit of Jesus to bring full healing and joy into our lives. Sadness and joy somehow swim together at the deepest part of our soul. So I think your, your, my ability to be joyful is only as deep as my ability to be sad when appropriate. And if, you, if you're not sad in appropriate ways, then your joy will never go deep. So there's this weird connection between those two. So we take communion every Sunday, and um, we do it in remembrance of Jesus, who said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So when he says, take this in remembrance of me, he was giving help to his disciples before he died. But he said, this is my body, this is my blood. Every time you eat this and drink this, remember me. And there's a variety of things we could remember. But I'm just going to ask you to remember this passage of Jesus on the screen. When he told his Lazarus sister, I'm the resurrection of the life. Even though you die, you're going to live. And that seems to be a radical way to think about how we live our life as we're living. So let me pray, and then uh, Aaron's going to come up and lead us in a song, and uh, then we'll take, and that you destroyed death. And, uh, and you did this because you were obedient to what the Father wanted you to do. Allowed yourself to be arrested, tortured, and crucified. But you are resurrected. Your, your resurrection is real, your resurrection is powerful, and your resurrected spirit is inside each one of us who've opened ourselves to your spirit inside of us. So that new life is like a seed growing inside of us, so would you help us grow that even stronger? And so as we take this bread and this cup into us, we're grateful that you didn't just leave us... Um, you didn't just leave us with good ideas and good morals and good teaching. You left us with a whole new kind of life. And Scripture says that you opened up a new and living way for us to know God and to live life in a whole other dimension. We love you, Jesus, and uh, thank you for all you do. Amen.